Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Joining us today is John Stossel, a New York Times bestselling author, 19-time Emmy Award winner, and five-time honoree for excellence in consumer reporting. So great to have you on today. John, you got a great new book out, No They Can't, Why the Government Fails But Individuals Succeed. Why do politicians always think they can solve our problems? I think most Americans sadly think they can solve our problems. It's instinct when the problem happens to say there ought to be a law. Yeah, and yet when we look at it, the history shows us it doesn't work. I mean, a good example is the mortgage market crash, which you talked about. Uh, wasn't the Dodd-Frank law supposed to uh, create a new system to save everything? Right, and Sarbanes-Oxley was created after Enron to save everything. And you know, 5,000 pages of rules give us the illusion of protection, but we're less safe with that because nobody understands them. And uh, it it encourages people to do things like give all their money to Bernie Madoff because they assume there's this magical government that's going to look out for them. Yeah, people need to be able to look out for themselves and want to live in a country where they can uh, have that ability. Uh, You talk about, regarding the uh, Dodd-Frank thing, that there's simple rules in the Cayman Island that take care of that without all the uh, red tape. What is that? Well, that was an example I used on my No They Can't TV show where – the Cayman Islands has been widely mocked as a scam where you hide hide your money not to pay taxes. But uh, the GAO says, no, the Cayman Islands gives the IRS any information it wants. And the reason so many companies are registered in the Cayman Islands is the same reason they're registered in Delaware, because the rules are simpler. Simpler in Delaware than the other states in America, and even simpler in the Caymans. You can start a hedge fund with just 10 pages of documents, and they never had a bailout. They've never had a bubble and a collapse. Now, it's a silly comparison because it's a small island, but uh, the point is that, that more, you know, the Ten Commandments were pretty good, and thousands of pages don't help. But the instinct of the bureaucrat is he's not doing his job unless he's adding more stuff. And we see red tape across the board, issue after issue. I mean, I know you've talked to a number of people about education reform. It's the same thing there. Isn't the reason the charter schools succeed where the regular schools don't is simply because they don't have a lot of that red tape? Well, certainly the reason some charters succeed and certainly the reason they don't cost as much as the 13000 we spend per child in the government schools, 250000 per classroom, nobody even knows where it goes – is things like red tape. But I would say charters succeed because they compete, because if they don't succeed, they die. They lose their own money. They actually haven't succeeded all that well yet. The best national study found there were plenty that were great, but there were plenty that were worse than the government schools. But the beauty of competition is that the ones that are worse will go out of business. Parents will find out. Word gets out. And they'll pull their kids out, and the investors in those charters will lose their money. God, the government monopoly never shuts down. They never close anything. 
Yeah, it seems like they just doubled down asking for more money and to continue the same uh, reasoning. Yeah, and they and we give them more money. Oh, we messed up. We lost three. The Department of Interior lost two two billion dollars of the Indians' money. So you need to give us more. Give us another two billion, and we do. Yeah, it's really sad. I'll tell you one place I think a lot of people would like to, you know, when they read your book, they're going to love is what you talk about the TSA, anybody that's dealt with airport security. uh, There's got to be a better way to do it than what's going on there, isn't there? There is. uh, I mean, the the head of the TSA wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't reply to to what we discovered. Um, Well, I guess I'll tell the whole story if we have time here, that, that the... It's again. It's instinct. That's why. I, uh, that's why I keep dividing the book into instinct versus reality. But instinct after 9/11 was to be scared, and when you're scared, you want the government to do something. And I was more scared than most of your listeners because I live in Manhattan, and it made sense to me when Tom Daschle said, "You can't professionalize if you don't federalize." Yeah. Well, it made sense for a second, but the Senate voted 100 to zero to create the TSA. And, you know, how's that working out for us? You you may think that they have saved us. We don't know that. But we do know they spend 10 times more than the previous screeners spent. And one city that's opted out of TSA screening is much better. San Francisco, where the people we interviewed said, gee, these screeners are friendly and the line moves quickly. And the TSA own, own undercover tests found they're more likely to find contraband. Why? Because the screen, because the private company knows if he does a good job, he can get other contracts with other airports. And if he doesn't, he'll get fired and lose his own money. So he does things like have contests, have screeners compete to see who can pack the luggage, unpack and repack the luggage neatly the fastest, who, who's best at finding contraband. And they can win a 1000 or 2000 bucks, And that makes them better. They take pride in their work. The private sector does everything better. So in the TSA's law, it says cities can opt out. They just have to get the TSA's permission. Now, lots of cities want to opt out, and the government just ignores them, ignore them for a year, then sends them a letter saying, we don't think this is advantageous to the federal government, so we're rejecting your application. Now, what? this week in the Wall Street Journal, John Pistole uh, wrote a letter uh, replying to my claims, and uh, I just wish he had talked to us in the first place, but he wouldn't. And he says, oh, we're constantly making improvements, and when private screeners do it, it costs more. Well, what that doesn't explain is if it costs more, why do all these cities voluntarily ask to opt out? Because they're the ones that are going to have to pay for it. Well, and obviously there must be an incentive there then for the government to want to have control of all these things. I mean, why wouldn't it be better for the government just to come out as long as there's set rules, you know? And as you say, it's proven, at least in the San Francisco's case, that uh, they do it better. So isn't there an incentive for the government to want to keep that control and to want to build and get bigger and bigger? In a logical world, but it's a bureaucracy, and bureaucracies like to build empires. If cities start to opt out, then the head of the TSA has less power. And they don't like that. Where do the unions fit into all this? I mean, I, they would fit in, I would assume, for all the uh, federal workers and, of course, the teachers' union and so forth. How, how do they fit into your uh, – um, They had, had, do not play a big role. The TSA, I believe, recently unionized. But as with all these government projects and unions and bureaucracies like that, they work fine for a few years. It took the Soviet Union 70 years to fail. But – over time, they don't innovate. They get rule-bound, and the horrible stuff 
doesn't happen until 10, 20 years down the road. Yeah, it's scary. Now, the big subject we're all talking about with the election season is job creation. Now, you talked with Mark, uh, Mark Cuban and some other people about why these rules really inhibit one of the things that we're great at in America, and that's creating jobs. That's all the private sector. They had Mark Cuban, who's probably created thousands of jobs, and also the head of Best Buy and the head of Staples told me that, you know, I don't think we could build our businesses today because there's so many new rules. I just don't know that we could have done it. You don't know what's legal anymore. There's so many more forms to fill out, taxes. You can't, even our lawyers can't understand them. They didn't say they couldn't have done it, but it would have taken them longer, they said, and it would have been much harder. And all this well-intended regulation just cripples entrepreneurship. And I argue it's the reason that we haven't recovered so quickly from this recession. Like every other recession, we bounce back. But now we're so rule-bound, people are reluctant to start enterprises. You have to have a compliance department. That's just a bunch of lawyers. They don't produce wealth. I just wonder, when did it become in this country a bad thing to, to be successful? I, I, don't, I don't get it. There's a natural discomfort with income disparity. I mean, I feel it too when I'm with somebody who's super rich and he's a little arrogant and he's got something I don't have. Uh, people have a little envy of the rich. Many that we feel didn't deserve it. But the truth is that most did, and you can tax them more, but they just hire tricksters to get around the taxes. You're not going to raise money from it. And some of the rich people are the golden geese who provide jobs for everybody else. And by beating up on them, we get less, less job growth from that too. Yeah, now a lot of people are going to say you've got to have government involvement for things like the Americans with Disabilities Act, that we have to have that because uh, disabled people, you know, rightfully need their access to the various things. But you write that fewer people have actually been able to work. How has that happened? My whole career has been an experience of discovering that government programs that I thought would be a helpful thing do more harm than good. And the ADA is just one of those examples. It was overwhelmingly passed. George Bush Sr. signed it. We're going to help disabled people get into the workplace. And nobody likes discrimination against disabled people. We'll make it illegal and more will find work. So 50% were in the workforce when they passed the law. Now it's dropped to 38%. It had the opposite effect. Why? Because by classifying disabled people, and I'm one because I'm a stutterer and Obviously, I have it largely under control, but I would qualify under the ADA. Would Fox hire me and be confident that I'm going to get it under control? I doubt it, because if they wanted to fire me and I sued them for discrimination violation, they know that to win, it would cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's safer just to say, let's not hire those disabled people. Right. So many companies don't. So. In the name of helping the disabled, they hurt the disabled. John, we were just talking about good intentions not always bringing good results. And that's true. And a lot of the stuff you do, as I see, the intention is good, but then we get away from the result. And it seems like there's point after point. I mean, in the book, you talk about health insurance. I mean, again, everybody wants to have health insurance. Great, but it doesn't work when you put it on paper, does it? Health insurance is the worst form of capitalism in that Insurance is a third party paying the bill. So we need some health insurance. We need it for the catastrophe that we couldn't pay for. Cancer, the big heart attack, 
But because of again, dumb government rules, tax breaks started in World War II. We have insurance for just about everything tied to our employer, and nobody even knows what anything costs. Even the doctor doesn't know. Nobody says, gee, doc, do I need that MRI? Or is there a place where it costs 800 instead of $1,200? Because they're not paying for it. They go to where some insurance company is going to pay for it. So there's no market. And the one tiny piece of medicine where there is a market, where there's no insurance coverage or practically none, is something like LASIK eye surgery. And what's happened there? Prices went down, quality went up, and the doctors even give out their cell phone numbers and their email addresses because they want to suck up to the customer. That's how a market works. And we've killed it in healthcare. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, you wrote a book about myths. I remember that. It was an excellent book, and there's just so many things. I think people want to believe these things, and they look at it with their hearts instead of their heads. I mean, is that what you find uh, through all your research? Yeah. I remember that book. You had a lot of things. We, we, we do look with our hearts. And, look, I'm paid to work with my head, and it's still it's a pain in the neck, and, and my heart often <laughs> sends me in a different direction. And most of the public, they have lives. They don't have time to analyze all these things. And you think with your heart, and your heart tells you government should solve it. And I think it's why Thomas Jefferson said it's the natural progress of things for government to grow and liberty to yield. So what do we do? I mean, do you see that turnaround, or do you, do you just see us going off a cliff as you look at this? I, I fear a cliff is possible. Uh, perhaps we'll learn from Greece or Spain or Portugal or Italy when they go belly up, or Italy, or rather Japan, because they have a problem of not enough young people to pay for the old people. Uh, maybe we will learn from that, but societies have a long record of disintegrating, and with Medicare about to bankrupt us, uh, and we baby boomers, <laughs> the elderly, vote, yeah. it's going to be tough. I fear they're just going to print more money and wreck our savings. You'll buy a life of loaf of bread for a thousand bucks. There's only one solution I see that, that would really solve this. Buy everybody a copy of No, They Can't. <laughs> <laughs> this explains it to them. Well, you know, I, I do think, though, it's important that these books are out there. And, you know, it, it, particularly your books, because I've, I've read them. And the one thing that's nice about it is it's very practical. They don't have to worry about it. It's, it's not French philosophy, economic philosophy from the 19th century. This is stuff that when you think of it, it makes sense. It's just unfortunate that for some reason people don't pause for a minute and just think these things through because – as you say, uh, let's look at the results instead of the intent. Because the reporters and the politicians focus on the scene, but not the unseen. So Bastiat said, a kid breaks a window in town, and everybody says, oh, he created jobs for the janitor to clean it up and the glassmaker. And he did. You could see those jobs. But what the stimulus spending and the kid with the broken window overlook is that the money that went to the glassmaker would have gone somewhere else, would have done other things, maybe created other jobs, maybe cured cancer, who knows. But we can't see and cover in the media what didn't happen. One last question, John. I mean, the one thing a lot of us enjoyed was when 2020, you were on there, it seemed like we had an objective journalist. That's how it came across. It was like there was no particular, you know, you could go either way, and I guess that goes to your libertarian mindset. Are we going to get to a point where we're going to have more reporters like you at the various uh, networks and so forth, or is that just uh, a, 
right now all from a philosophical standpoint and not the investigative journalism side? I think we'll have more of it. Maybe private charities will fund some of the investigations. Heck, at 2020, they felt uh, that I was the only one in the building who was not objective, who had a point of view. Because in the mainstream media, they all know that more regulation is good and abortion should be legal and guns should be further regulated and bigger government solves problems. That's just... That's just common sense. And then there are those right-wing and libertarian crazies like Stossel, and we indulge them. Uh, John, anybody, any place I guess they can get that book everywhere, right? Amazon, Barnes & Noble? Yeah, it's, uh, it's around. No, they can't. Why Government Fails, and that book is by John but Stossel. But individuals succeed. Let's not forget the last part. Which is really the time. important part. Thank you. John, That's thanks so much. That's the important for, part. <laughs> thank you so much for being with us today. really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including X, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchin reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go! Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more, you're making the same or less money. So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt, that's what you do. It's not your fault, it's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the Zero Debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-284-1349. 800-284-1349. 800 that's 800-284-1349. Holy gentle giants, dog food, Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier, your lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants Life Enhancing Dog Food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. 
If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-483-7217. 800-483-7217. 800-483-7217. That's 800-483-7217. 